0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today
1: FM. It all happens here.
0: Today FM. And it's time for the Culture Club and we're delighted to have Seamus O'Reilly with us who has just published his memoir, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Uh, Seamus, before we get to all your Culture Club choices in a moment, uh, tell us about the book, please. What's it all about?
2: Um, Did You Hear Mammy Died is... A memoir of my childhood, uh, growing up in a family of 11 uh, on the Derry side of the border between Derry and Donegal um, in the 90s. Uh, and as the title suggests, following bereavement uh, when my mother died tragically young, at age 43, uh, leaving my dad, Joe, to bring up 11 kids between the ages of 2 and 17, um, and all the adventures uh, that that entailed. Where were you amongst the 11? Uh, I'm ninth, um, so I'm on the younger end, um, which kind of means that you know the sort of class and cool kind of trickled down basically. So um, we were very much um, what might be called in dairy parlance the shakes of the bag, you know we were <laughs> uh, <laughs> down, 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 down the packing order, but you know I think that it adds a certain a certain cachet, I think.
0: What age were you when she died, and how well do you remember?
2: Um, So it was three weeks before my sixth birthday. So I was five going on six. Um, And in terms of memories, um, that was one of the challenges of writing the book Um, because when I set off, I I think I had five clear memories that I kind of clutched to my breast as those memories. And then miraculously, I don't think it's a spoiler to reveal that um, some more memories came through as I was writing the book. So if nothing else you know, writing this book, which I already thought I had in my head, actually, um, it brought new stuff to the surface. So uh, I'm delighted that I got to share some of that and experience it for myself almost as if it was first hand.
0: Yeah, what sort of emotions did it bring for you? Because did it bring back sadness for the time when you lost her and at times when you missed her throughout your childhood?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Um, uh, People who would know my work would know that I I write... um, sort of quite light stuff, I like to be funny, I like to put across the humour of things, Uh, but obviously if you're talking about, uh, you know, real life, and especially, you know, the more outsized or tragic elements of my childhood, um, you have to deal with that um, head on. Um, So I took to it as as being the the process of earning, uh, earning the laughs, because, you know, there were obviously loads of laughs in my childhood, it was a very happy childhood, you know, even considering you know certain tragic things, um, but doing that, yeah, it was quite emotional, it was quite hard to face that stuff. Um, but that, but you, look, get through, yeah.
0: that you look back in your childhood with such fondness and talks the laughs, that would mean a lot of tribute to your father, would it? And did you think, do you think differently of him now from having sitting down and putting this all to paper? Um,
2: yes, I mean, it's a nature of degree, so I think all of us. Uh, kind of hero worship my dad, which is fairly understandable, I think, even even in the light sketch of the situation that I've just given your listeners. Uh, I think it's clear he's a remarkable man, but I think the depth of the sacrifice he made and just the sheer hard work, um, as I say in the book, you know, by the time he was my age, he had, you know, seven kids. He built his own house from scratch, you know, plumbed, electric, everything. Uh, whereas I don't feel you know, capable of, of doing anything. I've got one son, and I I will scream and rant and complain about everything. And you know, that was just not his way. He he put his shoulder to the wheel, and he did it with a lot of hard work, determination, and love, and laughter. And you know, that's the sort of thing which more and more, especially as you grow up and you have your own kids, you're like, God, how 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 did he do it? So, this book is about that as much as as anything else. It's about all of those things and how that happens and helps to create a, a functioning, happy, you know, funny family.
0: Well, just one last thing before we get to your Culture Club choices. The title of the book, Did You Hear Mammy Died? Why is that title there?
2: Well, it's actually a direct quote from me. Um, uh, at the wake, uh, my mom's mum's wake, as I said, I was only five going on six. So I I wasn't really necessarily completely sold on the st- the permanence of uh, my mother's death. I think anyone who has suffered childhood bereavement or has, you know, been witness to that, will say something similar. That maybe kids' uh, idea of permanence isn't that concrete. And apparently, I was left to my own devices. Uh, for one moment, I wasn't, you know, shepherded away, and I was found greeting people at the door with a big smiley head on me. Uh, with my hand outstretched saying did you hear Mammy died? Um, <laughs> as if it was as if it was the news for the day and I hadn't I hadn't fully um, let's say absorbed the consequences yeah. and also the fact that per, the per the poor people coming in were obviously ashen faced and distraught so yeah
0: OK well it is a nice story about a very sad circumstance listen let's move on to your choices for the Culture Club uh, tell us about the first single you can remember getting
2: the first single, I think, was Firestarter by The Prodigy. Um, and I think, so this would have been when I probably was about 11. Uh, I was very, very into sort of electronic music and the more abrasive and abstruse, uh, the better. Um, for me, it was hearing that song, which which now is become a bit of a meme as this kind of sort of witless, sort of punk-scented thing, At the time it felt like no sound I'd ever heard before and the visuals were all so exciting and it was also Miles away from the stuff that maybe my brothers and sisters were listening to or the boys and girls in my class, you know, it's very much Spice Girls take that uh, blur and oasis kind of stuff, which I just wasn't interested in I wanted something that seemed to have this cachet of something dangerous dark possibly even evil um and uh, so it
0: was i was kind of hooked uh, after that let's hear a little bit of the prodigy far starter You know, Seamus O'Reilly, that's a pretty good first single to be able to nominate. Uh, That's one of the best ones we've had. So let's get some of your other musical choices. Tell us your favourite album, please. Uh,
2: This was hard, I I think, because I would kind of, I would definitely call myself an album listener. Particularly, you really fall in love with music, maybe between like 10 and 15 when everything seems so... So new and important that having whole albums was a big thing, and now I suppose it's much more single and sort of individual track focused. But the one I settled on was "Since I Left You" by The Avalanche's, just because, again, like like Firestar for completely different reasons, it blew my mind. You know the scale of what was happening. You know the scale of what was happening, and all of these. I think there's something like, thousand, two thousand different samples all kind of worked in all together, um, and I had sort of. I love an album that has just a big, colourful box of treats. Energy, you know. Every every track is different, and there's always something you can revisit. And again, it has that other thing, which is I can listen to one track and I have to listen to the whole album. So it has to be that. I think.
0: Now the track we have is Frontier Psychiatrist. <laughs>
3: Story about cowboys, and, bid- and, the and front- I, I <laughs> I was in another world, world yeah. and man with the golden,
0: golden Okay, the avalanches that's Frontier Psychiatrist from since I left you. And we know for people who love music, it's very hard to narrow it down to one album or to nominate a favourite band or artist, but that's what we ask everyone to do. So give us your favourite band or artist, please, Seamus.
2: Um, this was actually surprisingly easy for me, considering how much I struggle with the the album question. Um, The answer is Aphex Twin, um, who I think around right about that same time as the Prodigy, when I was about 11, he kind of had exploded onto the scene with a few kind of crossover sort of hit tracks, you know, come to daddy or window liquor. Um, and like so many of those things, you find the hit and then you go backwards and you find this person's got 10 or 15 years worth of completely mad music, all different genres, completely, you know, insatiable appetite for changing and revolutionizing things. And then in the 20 years, 30 years since, you know, he's kept doing that. So he's always someone whose work I watch for very fondly, even as he's kind of stopped producing quite so much. And then, you know, what is it, three or four years ago he decided he'd release something like three hundred tracks on SoundCloud for free. Um, because like all mad geniuses, he, <laughs> he he lives to be unpredictable. So I think if nothing else, he's got so much more music than anyone else I could name. So yeah, he was he was an easy pick for me.
0: Okay. And here's the trick window liquor. Okay, that's Apex Twin. So, best gig you were at and the reason for it?
2: Yeah, this again was a hard one. I think it would come down to two, um, between, uh, two of them were both actually at Electric in 2007. Um, and they were either the Beastie Boys or Bjork at that festival, which you know was a really embarrassment of, of riches. Um, I was 21, I think, you know, kind of peak live gig you know, going to everything I could during the week. And then the sort of festivals for me at least being quite a new thing because I was, I was quite a sheltered teen, um, lots of headphone music listening, but didn't go to many festivals and stuff until I went to college. So uh, to see those, the sheer scale, you know, hits for days, but also just to feel what it's like to hear music with, you know, 10,000 others sweaty reprobates. I mean, there was just just nothing like it.
0: As it happens, both Beastie Boys and Bjork from the Electric Picnic that year have been nominated by a number of people in this slot. It must have been really, really brilliant gigs. We don't have from the Electric Picnic, but we do have Beastie Boys live in 2007 playing Sabotage. PC Boys, there. Seamus O'Reilly is with us for the Culture Club. He has published his memoir. Did you hear, Mammy died? Seamus, we've been through all your musical choices, so let's talk about other things. Let's talk about books and uh, favorite book or author you have nominated for us. Uh, Flann O'Brien's *The Third Policeman*.
2: So this was a pretty seminal book uh, when I discovered it. Just for sure, how inventive and crazy it was, and also how it, how much it taught me about the possibilities of of humor in very very well written books. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't a easily digestible bit of fun. Although I love those books, it was very high modernist language that was also just extremely extremely funny. Um, there's very few things you visit even 10 20 or 30 years later that can still have you know a full effect I mean I think the obvious example would be Monty Python's incredible bits that we all remember but if you go back and watch one of those episodes sometimes you're like oh this is not this is barely even comprehensible because humor changes that quickly and meanwhile you can go back to third policeman in my opinion you know which is 100 years old or thereabouts and it's (laughs) you know it's it feels like it was written tomorrow you know.
0: It's not quite 100 years old, is it? I'm trying to work out. But I know what you mean. It's it's 90 90
2: years old because it was written in, I think it was written in the 30s, wasn't it?
0: Is it that far back? Good God, right. Okay. Well, we have an extract read by Jim Norton.
3: I was born a long time ago. My father was a strong farmer and my mother owned a public house. My father, I do not remember well, but he was a strong man and did not talk much except on Saturdays when he would mention Parnell with the customers and say that Ireland was a queer country. My mother, I can recall perfectly. I knew her well, but my father and I were strangers and did not converse much. We were all happy enough in a queer, separate way. Then a certain year came about the Christmas time, and when the year was gone, my father and mother were gone also. My mother was the first to go, and I can remember a fat man with a red face and a black suit telling my father that there was no doubt where she was, that he could be as sure of that as he could of anything else in this veil of tears. But she did not mention where, and as I thought the whole thing was very private and that she might be back on Wednesday, I did not ask him where. Later, when my father went, I thought he'd gone to fetch her with an outside car. But when neither of them came back on the next Wednesday, I felt sorry. Sorry and disappointed. After a few days, I was brought away myself on an outside car and sent to a strange school.
0: Jim Norton reading uh, The Third Policeman by Flann O'Brien. I've just been told, actually, well, it was written between 1939 and 1940 by Brian O'Nolan, who wrote under the pseudonym Flann O'Brien. It didn't get published until 1967, after he had died.
2: Yeah, that's right. It was the first book he wrote, but it was, you know, published posthumously. So 82 years. We'll we'll, we'll chalk that up to sort of middle distance.
0: <laughs> Indeed you will. OK. And give us a favourite play or musical or theatre show.
2: Um, this one was quite hard, actually, um, but I'll uh, opt for one that I reread quite recently, which is Stones in His Pocket by uh, Mary Jones. Um, which I saw performed in sort of repertory theatres as a school kid. I think a lot of Northern Irish uh, school kids do, um, but which I think I'd remembered as being a bit of a raucous laugh as a kid and then revisiting it now as a uh, the blackened heart of a, a man approaching middle age. I think I saw so much of the the darker stuff, the, the longing, the yearning, the sort of desperation. Um, so it's... A very affecting piece of work while also being really funny and being very funny with Irish people, being very funny about theatre and entertainment, the movie business or, you know, all these different angles. So, and it's also perfectly comprehensible to a child, to an adult and someone, you know, viewing it or reading it for the third or fourth time.
0: Let's hear a short scene from Stones in His Pockets.
1: Now, Sean here is going to read out his essay on cows.
3: Cows are great big, useful bees. They are more useful than humans. They are more useful because you can get made from them, then you can get milk and butter, and they even make good school bags. If I were a cow, I would feel very useful. I would rather be a dairy cow, so I didn't have to be killed. When I grow up, I am going to have the best heard in Kerry.
0: For those who aren't familiar with the play, what's it about? Um,
2: broadly, it's about a film that's being shot in a small town uh, and being watched uh, by the sort of people in the town as it's going through. And you focus particularly on characters who want to be close to you know, all the stuff that's going around. But, you know, there may be a million a million miles away from that kind of start and that kind of attention but you see their lives intersect in some interesting ways
0: um, but yeah it's, it's really struck with me and I really enjoyed rereading it recently Okay your favourite movie is a bit different tell us what the choice is and why you've made it
2: Well I wanted to be honest with you because I've had some, I've got a few things here which are real kind of curates eggs. You know, they, as you said, they they, they kind of flatter me a bit. So I could have gone for one favourite film of mine, which is Dersu Uzala, which is an Akira Kurosawa movie that was made for the Soviets, which I do really, really love. But if I've ever told anyone that any movie was my favourite and I didn't say it was Indiana Jones. And the Last Crusade, <laughs> I was probably lying. Um, I, I don't know what it hit me at the right time. And bear in mind, I'm not talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I can even accept is probably a superior movie. Um, it just hit me at the right place. I love, I love that kind of rollicking adventure, that popcorn cinema that Spielberg did so well. I love the interplay between you know two titans like Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, um, a script which got a polish from Tom Stoppard. Uh, you know it's it's it zips uh, along at such a pace and every time I've watched it which really genuinely might actually range into the hundreds because um, I was one of those kids to tape on again and again um, it's never done any time it's on I end up watching it to the end it's it's just my happy place so yeah I make no
0: apologies Let's have a scene from Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade with Harrison Ford and Sean Connery
3: Elsa never really believed in the grail she thought she'd found a
1: prize. What did you find, Dad?
3: Me? Illumination.
1: And what did you find, Junior? Junior? Dad? Please, what does it always mean? Is this Junior? That's his name. Junior. That's his name. Henry Jones, Junior. I like Indiana. We named the dog Indiana.
3: May we go home now, please? The dog? You
1: are named after the dog? You've got a lot of fond memories of that dog. Ready?
0: Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Just before we move off movies, though, um, tell us about the VHS collection that you had at home and how that came about. Uh,
2: Yes, well, I do go into it in the book. It has its own chapter. Um, My father was a very ingenious uh, man. Uh, He was also a lover of sort of AV tech and that kind of stuff. So we were always the first uh, family to have, you know, a video player and then a, DVD player and CD printers and you know kind of all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was self-taught. He there wasn't anything to do with his job. He was just a, had a passion for this stuff, and he. Basically decided when the video players were commercially available and were just 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 about affordable. Uh, he got one and started recording every single film that was ever on TV, which I think a lot of people did. But my father took it to such an absurd degree that we ended up with eight hundred films tipped off <laughs> taped off the TV. All but this is I mean all categorized, itemized in tires, numbered. Not only that, but he managed to. Work out and implement uh, the one of the very first sort of spreadsheet pro- programs, like you know, 20 years before Excel, um, of which he then itemized and digitized a big, huge brochure, basically tracked by or uh, tape by tape, you know, with all the information, you know, the length, the stars, the his own rating system, which he decided on, um, so it would you know display things as you know 15 or 18 or uh, occasionally an X. Um, which was very exciting for us when we, you know, got to that age where maybe we were looking for slightly racier fare, and then discovered, to our horror, that three-hour political drama Reds by Warren Beatty was down as X, and uh, <laughs> we sat we sat through it hoping we would be watching some. Scurrilous, you know, French coming of age drama, you know, still a great movie, all the same. It's a fantastic
0: (laughs) movie, but it was lost to me at 13, I tell you that. But what happened then if any of the 11 of you put the videos back in the wrong box? Oh, well, to be
2: honest, he had a lot of little co conspirators (laughs) because we all, you know, we all loved kind of taking part in, you know, recording our things, and there was, there was hell over who would get to record what and if there was only the one tape and all of a sudden you know someone's christening was being taped over by Wrestlemania <laughs> you know there's there's at least three recordings of Scott and Charlene's wedding from neighbours there's the other thing obviously is that because my dad wanted to save space on the tapes he would often record things on two films on one tape which led to some truly disastrous double bills um, including I believe Robocop followed immediately by A Woman's Heart live from the RTE concert orchestra <laughs> which You know, you might watch together, but you'd have to be in a very specific
0: mood. (laughs) Okay, we're going to play a little bit of your favourite TV show as a child. It doesn't come as a surprise to me that you've gone for the A-team.
3: The A-team? You're really the A-team? I found you. I'm Tanya Baker. You're Hannibal Smith, right? Face man? (sighs) Definitely (laughs) B.A.
1: We don't give autographs, honey. What's going on, Murdoch?
3: I've got some very important information for you. Colonel Decker is after you.
1: Now, there's a hot flash.
3: He has men on the way. They could be here already.
1: Who are you, Miss Baker? You want to trade information to get something?
3: No, I'm just warning you. I got the information from Intermode, right off their computer.
1: Intermode? Yeah, one of the world's biggest security firms. They protect corporations, shy billionaires, politicians, movie stars, and lately, some very important Arab oil magnets.
3: The point is, you're in serious danger right now.
1: Captain? Colonel, you know that car parked down the end of the block? Well, I still feel funny about it. Even though nobody's come or gone, that wino keeps hanging around there. I mean, he could be recon. I mean, he could call for backup any minute. VA, go with Murdock. Check out the street.
3: I'm, I'm so glad you believe me.
1: Believe you? Miss Baker. If that's your name, if you're telling the truth, I'd be foolish not to listen to what you have to say. If you're a military plant, Decker tried to make you look good by putting some men up front to back up your story. Either way, we've got military heat in the area.
0: The A-Team. Why did you like that so much, Seamus? Uh, you know, it's it's weird to think
2: just how much my Saturdays revolved around the A-Team. I mean, I just adored it for the sort of insanely cheap thrills the remedial plots, uh, the kind of the basic level appeal of the four mismatched guys um, kind of fighting... The forces of evil in a quite nebulous way, even though none of it makes any sense now. I did recently re-watch an episode just just on YouTube and it makes zero sense. The, the same thing happens in every single episode. Um, there's no stakes. Um, they kind of really pioneered that whole thing where a giant helicopter would crash into the side of a Cliff face, hundred feet in the air, and then fall to the ground in another explosion, and then you'd see five men crawling out of it just to make sure that it, <laughs> that no one was hurt because it was going to go out of tea time, you know, all across America and the wider world. So it's it's complete doggerel. It's you even heard in that clip, they just over-explain everything. There's not a single point where they didn't say we need more words telling people what is happening in this script just to pad out the time, but. For a 10-year-old boy, it was it was heaven, absolute
0: heaven. Now, for the adult boy, you've picked Succession as one of your favourite TV shows. So let's hear a little bit where Kendall Roy, played by Jeremy Strong, closes down a company. Everybody, if
1: I can just have a second. I just wanted to update you on a couple of developments. Uh, some of you may have noticed servers are down and we're setting a satellite office on 7 and I'm afraid I have to inform you, you are all dismissed. Yeah, you're, you're all fired. So if you can leave your laptops where they are and hand in your passes, security will be coming around now. Been through everything you've shown me, food and weed. Those are the only two verticals driving revenue. So we're folding them in. And uh, yeah, you're all free to leave. This is a joke. You have 15 minutes to gather your belongings and exit the building separation agreements will be handed around shortly one week of severance per year served with full non-disclosure post your little videos you get three days unused vacation days will not be reimbursed health benefits will be terminated at the end of the month that's it i'd like to thank you all for your hard work
0: why succession um i think it's
2: it's the writing it's the performances it's the the way in which they can make a cast of almost supernaturally unlikable characters compelling um, because I think most shows, they can do that with one or two antiheroes so with, you know, the sort of guy you love to hate. Uh, every single character in the show pretty much without exception is objectionable. Um, uh, they're not even cartoonishly villainous in a sort of a, a camp way. They're, they're sort of mundane corporate evil, you know, but they're still so watchable because... The scripts just, just zap, like they're just incredibly well put together. Uh, the performances also are just incredible. Um, you know, I mean, Brian Cox alone, I think it's it's amazing to see him getting to be such a garrulous, you know, hateful beast and still find him so compelling. I, you want to see him every single week and uh, it's it's a real testament to their ability because you know that that shouldn't work it shouldn't work that you hate all these people and you still want to sit down and watch them every week and are you know destroyed and, and distraught every time a season ends
0: Unfortunately we have run out of time that is all I'm able to do I know you had a few more choices for us but we're not going to have time to get to them uh, The book is Did You Hear Mammy Died? Seamus O'Reilly thank you very much for joining us here in the Culture Club on The Last Word of Today FM thanks for having me.
2: The Last Word with Matt Cooper Weekdays from 4.30 Today.